scientists have created the first ever living robots that can procreate. Yes, they can reproduce in a way that, get this, we've never seen before in nature. Josh Bongard is a computer scientist and robotic expert at the University of Vermont, where they uh, have created these robots. Josh, he joins the show now. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me on, Kelly. Josh, I understand your hometown is Toronto. It is indeed. So it's nice to be uh, chatting with you. Well, nice to have you back. And you know how we are in Canada. We like to be safe. We like to be practical. So my first question, and I think this is the question that was on everybody's mind when they heard about this incredible discovery you made about robots that are actually able to procreate is, did you kill them? (laughs) Did we kill them? Uh, Quite the opposite. They seem perfectly happy uh, in a Petri dish to make more copies uh, of themselves. Okay, my second question is, why are you letting this happen? What is wrong? Josh, the robots are going to take over. We all know it's, a, it's a, an eventuality. What's going on and why are you allowing them to procreate? Yeah, great, great question, Kelly. We, we have, obviously, as scientists, we can understand people are quite uh, apprehensive at the moment about little creepy crawlies that uh, replicate out of control. Um, and that's actually the, the whole purpose of this research. Um, as a society, we don't understand how to slow down the spread of bad things like COVID or misinformation or forest fires. And there are other good things like vaccines that we wish we could spread more quickly to, for example, people that want the vaccine. So we're trying to understand this phenomenon, how living things grow and spread and propagate and try to understand how we can control uh, the good things and the bad things that spread. Well, how are these robots going to teach you that? Yeah, that's that's a great question. Well, as you mentioned, um, under the right conditions, these little xenobots, that's our nickname for them, um, they're able to make copies of themselves in ways never before seen in nature. And this is part of what makes biology and viruses uh, so challenging. They figure out ways around human attempts to control their spread. So we need to understand this process to be able to control it better uh, in future. So did you create robots that actually mutate? Is that what you're looking at and and, and studying mutations? Uh, Mutation is a part of it. Um, If you look into the Petri dish, you'll see about nine of these little creatures. They look like little grains of sand moving around, uh, and they push other cells in the dish into piles. And those little piles, after four days, start moving. Those are our child xenobots. But they look and act differently from the parents. So they're not quite mutants, but again, like children and parents, in some ways they're similar, and in other ways they're different. So when you say these uh, xenobots are uh, pushing around other cells, where do the other cells come from? Maybe to explain what the, the project is and, and, and what exactly is going on in those Petri dishes. Sure, exactly. So um, what we do is we create these nine xenobots to begin with. We have a microsurgeon looking through a microscope, and very carefully he builds these sand grain-sized robots. Then he also sprinkles loose frog cells into the dish. So we basically provide the Lego bricks or the building blocks for these robots, and they use that to build copies of themselves. This is part of what makes this process safe to study. They are imprisoned inside a Petri dish, and if we don't provide them with any frog cells, they don't reproduce. Yeah, but how do you know that for sure? They haven't gotten out yet. 
Yeah, that's a great question. Um, every scientific lab uh, in the U.S. and in Canada, there are very, very strict animal welfare laws, uh, lab safety protocols. It's all done under very careful conditions. Again, in the hope of trying to understand and control these processes better. What are these, uh, am I saying it correctly, xenobots? What are they made out of? Yeah, so these xenobots are named after Xenopus lavis, which is the African clawed frog. We take uh, eggs from Xenopus lavis, and we very carefully scrape off a few stem cells, and we put these stem cells in the Petri dish. And in the Petri dish, these stem cells turn into skin cells, and they grow very small hairs called cilia on their outer Mm -hmm. surface. And a group of these cells with these small hairs, they're kind of like flexible ores, they will start beating, and if this pile of cells is large enough, it will start moving along the bottom of the Petri dish. Right, and then they are attracted to the frog cells. Their whole goal is to make those cells into uh, copies of themselves. Is that correct? Well, that's a good question. You mentioned if they have goals. We're not quite clear whether they Well, they have goals. They're robots. We know what's coming. (laughs) Could could be, could be. This is part of the, the study. How much do they want to do this? Are they, could, they, could it just be there's nothing else to do? They're just sitting in a Petri dish. Well, Yeah, yeah. Could maybe they get bored. Uh, you know, I think this work and a lot of other work in biology is, is really showing us how little we understand about living systems. We were all taught in school that DNA is the software uh, of life. But if you take one of these xenobots, which doesn't look or act anything like a frog, and you read out its DNA, it's genetically unmodified frog DNA. So what's, what's going on here? You apparently there's something interesting about the way you shaped the original um, Xenobot that actually led to it being able to reproduce. Can you talk about that? Because I think a lot of us will be able to relate to it because it it involves a shape that we're familiar with from our youth. Very, Very good point. So we've just been talking about the first half of this study where we were we discovered that these Xenobots can do it. In the second half, we brought in an AI, and we asked the AI to see whether it can control self-replication in the dish. We let our AI think about the problem for a few weeks on a supercomputer, and at the end of that time, it gave us back a blueprint for building a new type of xenobot, and that blueprint is a flat disk and has a little wedge cut out of it, and it looks exactly like Pac-Man. When we then built those Pac-Man xenobots and let them loose in the dish, they were able to produce children, which produced grandchildren, which produced great-grandchildren, and then great-great-grandchildren. So the AI had made better replicators in the shape of Pac-Man. So you end up with all of these frog cell robots in a a Petri dish. What do you do with them next? Yep, that's a great question. So as I mentioned, we want to try and understand how good and bad things spread. At the moment, the xenobots are neutral. They don't do anything except maybe make a few children and then die off like uh, biological cells do. In the last part of the paper, we showed in theory, and this was just a computer model, we didn't do this in reality, we showed that xenobots can fix electronic circuits in between making offspring. So they basically do useful work for people as a side product of replicating. That's important because if we're going to make technologies that replicate and grow exponentially, we want them to become more useful as they spread. Did you program them to to uh, make repairs? Yeah, uh, we again, we didn't. We're not smart enough. It's the AI that figured it out. 
We ask the AI to make something that replicates and spreads and does useful work on behalf of people uh, on the side, and the AI was able to do so. Okay, I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but you know, the AI is is in control of it. It's the brains, the cells are the body. We've got movement here. Uh, what are the odds of the AI figuring out how it could uh, get into these multi-celled organisms eventually? Is yeah, that a problem or is that the goal? It's something to think about. Um, obviously, Hollywood has had a great time over the years thinking about evil AI that figures out ever more creative ways to extinguish humanity. I think it's important to remember here that the AI itself is not good or evil. It is, again, a tool. We ask the AI to design something for us. And the AI itself is also an object of study. We want to make sure not only do the xenobots not get out of control, but neither does the AI. And that's, again, something we need to tackle from a scientific and an engineering point of view. Is there ever a risk when you're a scientist? I mean, this is a really weird question to pose to you. It's sort of like we should be talking over a beer, but I tend to ask <laughs> questions like this. But is there is there ever in the back of your mind a risk of, wow, uh, what happens if we, you know, we, we stop being able to comprehend what the AI is, uh, where they're operating from, that the AI is more intelligent than humans, and, and we actually just you know, their, their thinking is beyond ours. We can't comprehend it appropriately anymore. Yeah, that, that is a great question, and, and it is a question. We don't know whether AI will grow powerful enough that we don't understand it, and that's something we need to understand. If it turns out that that's true, then we need to know that now and start to work with regulatory bodies to regulate that kind of technology. We're not perfect at it, but human beings are getting better at outlawing dangerous uh, technologies. And if it turns out that AI is such a technology, we need to know that now and prepare for how to control it or suppress it in the years to come. I've taken this down a dark path only because, you know, when you look at the internet and how people are responding to the headline of the, the work that you're doing, people want to want answers to this. They turn towards the dark side, like where could this possibly, what could possibly go wrong? But there are, you know, you are, of course, as a scientist and, and as a Canadian, a good Toronto boy, are approaching this from uh, where could we go with this? Like how could it help humanity? Can you speak to, you know, what our hopes are for this kind of, um, technology, these kind of robots that can um, replicate on their own and reproduce, this could help us get plastic out of oceans, right? Yeah, so we're, we're looking at, again, applications that would ho hopefully help. Um, one of the near-term applications we're looking at, as you mentioned, is trying to create xenobots that can uh, perform environmental remediation, that can clean up waterways, uh, again, under very careful conditions. Um, these are very small machines. They're biodegradable. They're not genetically modified. They're natural frog, and they're perfectly happy in fresh water. I think in the very near term, we will probably test applications in controlled settings like vertical farms, desalination facilities. These are closed environments in which we can keep a very careful eye on these xenobots and make sure that they always work on behalf of humans' best interests. Josh, I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for making sense of, you know, uh, what you're doing with these robots, because it's a, it's a scary thought that we've got robots that can now procreate. Uh, but it's also very promising in the future for humanity, I think, when you look at the uh, implications of where we could go with the help of these robots. I appreciate that, Kelly. Thanks for your interest and your time. Thanks so much. Josh Bongard is a computer scientist and robotics expert at the University of Vermont.